Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you this morning. Uh, my name's Josh. My name's Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're continuing in on our series we're calling Aha Moments, where we're looking at the parables of Jesus. And many of Jesus' parables have this new reality, this aha moment. Like, oh, I didn't even think about that. Well, you know, the parable today, it's not an aha moment. It's more like an oh yeah moment. We're going to look at the parable of the Good Samaritan, where Jesus reminds us what has been true throughout the course of history and throughout the scriptures of what God has called each follower of him to do. And I tell you, the preparation for this message has been personally convicting for me um, and looking at through what God calls us to and then where I fall short in this area. So I hope that our time this morning is convicting but in a good way for you, that your heart's moved and it's challenged and encouraged to live out that command of Jesus to love God and love neighbor. So before we get going, I'd like to pray for us, but for me, and um, let's do that right now. Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. Oh, you, your kindness is beyond expression. We can't uh, even comprehend how much you love us, how kind you are to us. And we thank you for your heart that you are a loving Father. Today, Lord, as we look at the parable of the Good Samaritan, one very common, a very uh, familiar parable, Lord, would you give us fresh insight, fresh conviction to know how to respond, Lord, we don't want to be hearers of the word. We want to be doers of the word as well. So would you use this time to make us better doers of your word so that your name will be made much of and people will be served and loved and cared for. So we want that through our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, if you've got your Bibles, Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 29. And we'll kind of discuss it and talk th through it verse by verse. And then we'll have some application toward the end. I've got some visual aids that hopefully are helpful. Verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, that's Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. <clears throat> so here we have a lawyer or an expert in the Old Testament, possibly a priest, asking Jesus what he needs to do in order to be counted righteous before God and inherit eternal life in the age to come. And Jesus says, well, what do you think? And the lawyer responds correctly. He says, well, uh, Deuteronomy 6.5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus says, yep, you got it. You know, all right, end of story, right? Not quite. Verse 29, and here's the pivot. Here's the, um, here's the key that we're trying to unpack, that Jesus will try to unpack through this parable. Verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? 
What does justify mean? Well, justification is to be declared righteous. It is to show that the character and conduct of a person is right and good. So what the lawyer's doing here is he wants Jesus to tell him that all of the lawyer's negligence and all the lawyer's disregard toward those in need, it's actually okay because this person or those people, he's not responsible to love because they're not his neighbor. See, when it comes to Christian ethics or Christian living, too often my effort and maybe your effort too, focuses on justifying our lack of love rather than finding ways to love. You see, too often I think we try to find a loophole for the reason we don't apply Jesus' teachings. But what Jesus does is he puts us on the hook in this parable. And again, as I shared earlier, I'm, I'm struggling there in here with you. Or the, I think of the life that I and my wife live in our you know, nice house in Parma Heights, our neighbors who are all not you know, beaten up and half dead as we'll see in a moment. And they seem to be doing fine and we'll talk. To, how am I supposed to apply what we're going to learn here in a moment? And how do I make sure my heart is not bent toward justifying my inaction and, my just, and, and, and ultimately focusing on not my work but Christ's work on the cross that is my justification. But out of that justification, living out a life of love. It's difficult, but in other ways, it's pretty straightforward. Let's look at what, how Jesus responds to this question of who then is my neighbor. Verse 30. And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. So here we have this unnamed, unknown man going a distance of about 17 miles from the city of Jerusalem east to Jericho. And this 17-mile trek was very treacherous because it would cause a person to go through the Valley of Adumim. The Valley of Adumim is a rocky, craggy path filled with caves that marauders and thieves would hide out in and attack people who were traveling along this road. And that's exactly what happened to this man. He was attacked by robbers. He was beaten. His clothes, his means of travel, everything he had was taken away, and he was to the point of death. You see, this unnamed, unknown man was helpless and alone. When was the last time you felt helpless and alone? Maybe it was that uh, divorce or bankruptcy. Maybe you had a physical issue or a financial issue or a psychological issue. What put, put yourself in the place of this unnamed, unknown man when you were completely helpless and alone? 
You know, when I asked myself this question, the first thing that came to mind was when I was going into the 10th grade, my family moved to a, a new school district. And as a 10th grader, I knew nobody. And I, for a month, I sat by myself, uh, you know, 135 pounds, six foot one, myself uh, in the lunchroom for a month, just eating my, you know, bitter you know, PB&J sandwich all by myself. And I remember thinking, man, I felt so alone. When were you alone and helpless? Well, let's look at this uh, hero of the story that Jesus introduces us to in a second. Verse 31. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. Oh, good. A man of the cloth, the hero of the story. He will certainly help this poor man. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. We knew pastors were in it just for the money, right? Verse 32. So likewise, a Levite... This is a man who would volunteer at the church. He would serve with life groups. He wasn't a priest, but he was part of a special group that would serve. The Levite, he will do something. The salt of the earth sort of man. He's going to be the one. This parable is about, you know, uh, the, the truly pure religious people. Okay. And likewise, the Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. They passed by this helpless, half-dead man who was obviously in need. They obviously saw this man and they made a point to go on the other side of the road. But the good thing is, it was okay for these men to do that. You see, these guys were, um, they were busy. You see, they had a hectic schedule that they needed to keep. Maybe they had a birth, a family uh, gathering, a birthday party to go to. Or maybe they had a travel baseball team that they needed to attend to. Or you know what? Maybe one of these guys' wife had just had a baby and he, he just can't be delayed. Right? It, it, it was okay. They, they didn't need to help this man because they were busy. Just like we are. And besides, they didn't even know the guy. Like, I don't know this dude. Maybe it's his fault that he was beaten up. Maybe it was a drug deal gone bad or he swindled someone. I, and by the way, it was, they were just two people. What could two people do? There's too much need in the world to be bothered by this man. They were justifying themselves. Just like the lawyer did. Just like I do. I think just like you do. What excuses do you offer to your own heart for rationale and why you're not invested in seeing restoration in our world? Are you too busy? Well, fortunately, we see a person who's not too busy. Let's look with me at verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. 
He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Now take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now, what's a Samaritan? A Samaritan was ethnically, culturally, and religiously despised by the Jewish people. And the Samaritan also despised the, uh, the Jewish people. It was mutual animosity. But we see this Samaritan. He was the one who did six things. There were six movements of this story. First, he has compassion. Second, he went to him, went to the man. Third, he bound up wounds with oil and wine. Four, he set the man on his own animal. Five, he took care of him. And six, paid money for his care. And look at what Jesus says about this man. And which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You see, Jesus is sharing this parable with the lawyer and with us, not to provide us any new theological concepts, or not to show us something that was hidden in plain, that was hidden under some uh, odd theological nuance. No. He's simply reaffirming what we see throughout the Old Testament, which is the heart of God. It's found in Matthew 22. It's found in Deuteronomy 6.5, Leviticus 19.18, that we are called to love God and love neighbor as ourselves. And what Jesus is saying is this. Your neighbor is anyone God puts in your path. Your neighbor that you're called to love and serve is anyone God puts in your path. Irrespective of age, race, economic situation, life stage, religion, location, affinity, whatever the case is, is there a person in your path? Well, that is the neighbor that you are called to love. And I tell you what, this probably isn't shocking news. It's something that we know up here, but fail to allow, allow it to settle into our heart and change the way we think, the way we feel, and the way we act. You see, our first call is to love the Lord your God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, not just our mind. For the rest of the time, I'd like to look at the Good Samaritan more closely and try to apply the model that Jesus has given us and try to apply it to our lives. You see, when we look at the mar this parable, I think many of us think, look, I, I can't do everything. Like, I can't help every homeless person, every widow, every orphan. I, 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 I'm only one, I'm just a high school student. I'm just a young mom. I don't have any means. Whatever the situation is. And you know what? That's true. But we are not just individuals going along the world in Jesus' name. No, we are the church. 
We are the body of Christ. And each one of us is called to be individual members of it. I tell you what, if you want to go plant a beautiful garden, you're going to need more than one finger. Well, you've got a whole body. And that's what Christ is telling us. That things may be too big for each one of us, but they are not too big for the body of Christ. So what I want to do is let's apply what we've learned to individual people, to individual lives, our lives, so that together, when we're faithful to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves, it will be amazing to see what God can do through our lives. All right. So let's look at these six movements that we see from the Good Samaritan. First is the Good Samaritan had compassion. Had compassion. See, this word compassion in the Greek, uh, the New Testament is written in Greek. It's splanchnizomai, which is almost exclusively used for God in his heart for us. And what it means is when our hearts are moved within us and are moved toward action. See, when you have compassion is when you hear a story of brokenness and need and your heart wells up with emotion and maybe your eyes well up with tears and there's something about it that goes... I feel like I got to do something about that. You see, each one of us has something. My first illustration, you like that? Each one of us has something that moves our hearts, that causes us compassion. And my question for you is what moves your heart? And CBC, I want to hear from you. We're going to type it on the screen. When you see an area of brokenness, what area is that that moves your heart? Let's hear it. Addiction. Addiction. Depression. 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 Child abuse. Child abuse. Trauma. Trauma. Sickness. Sickness. Incarceration. Incarceration. What else? Disabilities. Incivilities. Disabilities. Oh, disabilities. Disabilities. What else? Abortion. Abortion. Injustice. I tell you what moves my heart. Um, my, uh, it's racial unity. My great-grandfather was a raging racist. And in my family's history, I feel like I want to be a source of restoration in, uh, because my family has caused great hurt in generations past. That's something that moves my heart. Two more. Adoption. Adoption. One more. From the balcony. The lost. The lost. Excellent. You see, now that maybe you've kind of come into your uh, uh, realization that, man, there's something that moves my heart. I tell you what, you're now on the hook. Whatever it is that moves your heart and moves your eyes to tears, that's that area that, that's that need that's in your path. That's that neighbor that God has put in your path that you are called to love. So the question is this, are you willing to be a neighbor? Because you know now who your neighbor is. All right, the second thing, he went to him. Now this kind of looks like a throwaway phrase, but it's really important 
You see, where the Levi and the priest saw the man, so they traveled on the other side of the road, this Samaritan went to the man in need. He's the one that initiated the relationship. He went out of his way to extend a hand and say, hey, do you need some help? You see, we are called, if you're a follower of Jesus, not just to wait for a need to arise or wait to hear about something. We're to make the first step. We're to extend a hand. We're the one to initiate that relationship where God can begin to work. Man, my encouragement is don't let your fear of reaching out, don't let your fear of, oh, I've never really talked to this person, don't let that stop you from loving your neighbor. All right, the third thing we see is that this Samaritan bound up the man's wounds with oil and wine. That's kind of weird. You're like, what is he making a vinaigrette for him? <clears throat> So we see oil and wine, two common um, uh, food items uh, that people would have. So he bound up his wounds. Most likely, they didn't carry medical gauze. He probably tore some of his own cloak or his inner tunic and bound up the man. And what he did was, he would pour wine on the wounds. Wine, being alcoholic, is disinfectant. So he'd pour wine and then he would pour oil, a protectant and something to soothe the pain. You know, when we enter into a relationship, we see a need, our heart is moved by compassion, we go to that person and we begin a source of restoration. I tell you what, it'll, what will happen, you'll have to cause a little bit of pain or discomfort in that person's life in order to provide comfort, and ultimately healing. You see, you got to know that if you're going to be used by God in a place of great need. You see, if the Samaritan went up to the guy and was like, I've got this wine, it's going to keep your body from getting infected, but I don't want it to sting, so I'm just going to... That's not a loving thing to do. You know, one of the best things you can do as you be begin to have a relationship with a neighbor that's in great need is to cause a little stinging in their life. What relationship that's honorable and true doesn't have some of this and some of this? You see, that's what's, gonna, that's what's required of those who want to be a source of restoration and healing in people's lives. If you want to see wholeness and healing and that person God's put in your path, it's going to need oil and wine. And are you willing to be that neighbor? All right, the next thing we see, number four, is the Samaritan set the man on his own animal. So the Samaritan had a donkey or a mule or whatever he had. And since this man was in such great need, he put the man on his own animal, causing the Samaritan to need to walk the rest of the way. You see, the Samaritan was using the gift that God had given, them, given him in this animal. You see, that animal is a great resource, highly valuable to the Samaritan. He was willing to use it to help this man. You see, every one of us has been given gifts by God to be used in, in our work to love our neighbors. What gift has God given you? Is it a skill? 
Maybe you know plumbing or you know some type of medical, you have some type of medical training. Or maybe you have an expertise in art or finance or special needs. Is it a resource? Maybe you've got some means, some money, uh, your home, equipment. Is it a spiritual gift like administration or helps or service? Or is your gift a place of power? city government, or another local organization. Every one of us has been given a gift by God. And the gift is to be enjoyed, but also to be used, to love our neighbors. What is the gift God's been given, God has given you? Point five, he took care of this man. Now, I think the immediate uh, context is he you know, got him into his room and, and, and set him up with whatever he needs. But I tell you what, in, in my relationship with caring for those in need, I think there's a lot more of the psychological taking care of. You see, when, um, well, honestly, when Deborah needs to get into something messy at home, she's willing to do it. But there's some protection that takes place. But when I know when she's got these gloves on, she's going to get down in there, right? And do the scrubbing. I tell you what, if you, be, if you develop a relationship with someone, you hear their story, you enter into their story, you know their life is messy. But we can't be afraid of the mess because we're a mess. And if Christ looked at us and said, ah, no, I'm not getting into that, it's a hot mess. And we would be all in terrible situation. Has the messiness of someone's life caused you to step back from loving your neighbor? You see, the, this, the Samaritan didn't allow that to stop him. You know, he probably found out that this guy that was beaten and robbed might not have been an angel. You know, he might not have been the perfect citizen. You know, he could have been unwisely traveling during or at the valley, and he should have known better. Who knows? But what I do know is when you begin to obey God's call, you're going to get into people's lives, and it's going to be messy. But you know what? You're up for the task. Because you have the Holy Spirit who gets into your life, your messy life, and he'll equip you for the task. And then final, finally, the man paid money. For, or the Samaritan paid money for the man. Two denarii. That's about uh, worth enough for 21 days at a low-income hostel or a hotel. And I tell you what, if you're going to love your neighbor, it's going to cost you a little bit of this. Now, you must be wise, especially issues of, of poverty and other needs. You need to make sure you have wisdom. Talk with people in your life group. Even talk with those who understand the context. But no matter what, it's going to cost a little bit of that. And it's funny that Jesus includes this at the end. Because elsewhere in the Gospels, he says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. It's almost like the final test. <laughs> I'm going to give my time, give my effort, but I'm going to give my money. Are you willing to use some of the finances God has given you to be able to see restoration in people's lives by the gospel? Let me tell you one story of a man who was going one way 
God put a need in his life and it changed his life and countless other lives. Let me tell you the story of Compassion International. See, more than 65 years ago, a man named Everett Swanson flew from Chicago to South Korea to minister to American troops fighting in the Korean War. While he was ministering to the American troops, he grew increasingly troubled by the sight of hundreds of war orphans living on the streets, abandoned by society. One morning, he saw city workers scoop up what looked like piles of rags and toss them into the back of a truck. He walked up to the truck for a closer look and was horrified to see that the piles were not rags, but the frozen bodies of orphans who died overnight in the streets. Swanson could not turn his back on those unwanted children and vowed to find a way to help. Well, he came back home and he shared his, his, his experience and a few other members of his local church partnered to support 35 orphans with a few dollars a month for food, clothing, and Bible instruction. Ten years later, the ministry grew from 35 to 108 orphans. Certainly not exponential growth. And in 1961, Swanson was inspired by Jesus' words in Matthew 15 that says, I have, I have compassion on the multitude. I will not send them away hungry. And he named his organization Compassion International. And he died four years later. Through being moved with compassion by who God put in his path, Swanson's organization, Compassion International, has grown much after his death into a ministry that started out supporting 35 orphans with food, care, and Bible teaching and has supported over 2 million children with their physical needs and their need to know Jesus Christ. All because one man was unwilling to walk on the other side of the road. You see, that is what can happen when someone's heart is moved with compassion to love that person that God has put in his or her path. You know, I'll tell you one other person who embodies God's love more than the Good Samaritan, more than Everett Swanson. It is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ saw us not half dead, fully dead in our transgressions and sins, Ephesians 2.1. But God so, was so moved with compassion for the world that he gave his one and only son, John 3.16, who emptied himself by taking on flesh and living just as we lived, Philippians 2.7. You see, Jesus healed our wounds by taking our wounds onto himself. For by our, by, for by his wounds are we healed. Isaiah 53, 5. And God offered up his greatest gift, the life of his perfect spotless son to bring us to a place of healing. Hebrews 10, 12. And God gets into our lives 
and is so patient with us in our failures and in our failings. Second Peter 3, 9. And Jesus paid the ultimate price for our care and our healing. He paid the price of his life. Galatians 3, 13. And unlike the Samaritan, Jesus paid all the costs for our sin. And he has promised to come again, not to pay our debts, but to restore all of our life. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 You know, maybe you're here and you feel like that man who is half dead and neglected. And maybe this morning you're ready to receive the healing that comes from only Jesus Christ. If that's you this morning, you could simply pray in your own heart something like this. Jesus, I am dead. I'm alone. I am broken. Would you heal me? Forgive me of my sins. I trust in your death on the cross. Take me into your family. Restore my life so that I can love you and love my neighbor. If you do that this morning, your life is forever changed. And talk to me. I'll be in the foyer. Talk to someone in the prayer cove. Talk to someone at the info desk. Talk to one of the ushers. Let us know if you've made that commitment because we want to walk alongside you. And maybe you are a believer here. And maybe you've been convicted that I have not loved my neighbor as I should. No, we have 10 local organizations that we have partnered with to provide you with avenues to serve all throughout Northeast Ohio. There is, you know, opportunities to serve the poor, the refugees, those in great crisis, orphans. There's so many opportunities to serve. CVCmissions.org. You go there, click, click on local initiative in it's an easy way to you get connected and get your life group connected into serving in the area. And you know what? Maybe uh, one of the ways God stirred your heart is for international people, people who don't know the Lord, who are far from the Lord and far from your home. But we actually have an organization here today called International Friendships that partners with international students from China and the Middle East and all over the world to connect them with believers to begin to build that relationship that maybe one day they'll come to, they'll come to be your um, brother and sister in Christ. Maybe that's you. We have a table in the foyer. Go talk to them. Say, how can I help? I want to help. I don't want to justify myself. I want to love God and I want to love my neighbor. Well, I hope this has been helpful to you. I know it's been a challenge to me. Know that myself and all the other pastors and elders, we don't have this perfectly, but we do know and we do believe that if together, as a church, we love that person that God has put in our path, I promise that Northeast Ohio and the world will never be the same if we link arms. And all we got to do is love God and love our neighbor. Well, let's stand. We're going to close with uh, three songs, a little extended worship time. And I would encourage you, use this time, a prayer of introspection to see how God wants you to use um, your gifts and what God's given you.